To defeat an enemy, you must know them. Not just their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. To the Chiss Ascendancy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chiss Ascendancy, episode fifty-nine. Uh, today, we're getting a sandwich, and we got a little uh, some bread oh and <laughs> some meat. And oh my god, <laughs> some high republic ketchup. So, I had a friend in high school and he would just eat ketchup sandwiches, and that's like the most disgusting thing I can think of. <laughs> Literally, uh, two slices of bread and ketchup in the middle. That's like something that orcs would eat in Lord of the Rings. That's like something an orphan would eat because they can't afford uh, real food. <laughs> come on, ketchup pack and something, dude. That's rough, sissy boy. He enjoyed it, like that was a. A delicacy for him. Mm. Sicko. Sicko. Yeah, if you're going to make a, a sandwich with just one item, probably go with a nice jam. Right? And just or like peanut that's what butter or honey. Yeah. Honey Sammy. But yeah, just ketchup. If you ever became a, a fighter, your nickname should be Honey Sammy. Why? I don't know. I just. Honey Sandwich, you know? Yeah, I knew but what your you name meant. is I Samuel. Just, so yeah, I got the joke. I just It'd be funny. I don't like it. <laughs> so uh, as you can guess, uh, we are doing a High Republic episode today. Uh, so we've done man. This is I think that of all the items, uh, all the mediums of Star Wars um, content, I think the High Republic has probably gotten the most exposure on the show out of every out of everything because we did an expectancy episode. We did a Light of the Jedi review episode. We're doing another interview. Have we talked episode. about the comics at all? Uh, maybe a little bit. The first one. Mm. We and we've done more. We've done a lot of Mandalorian stuff, but yeah. and Clone Wars. I would say that the per capita is higher for High Republic just because there's a lot less to look at. But it's the newest thing, and so um, Claudia Gray, who is actually. Uh, she's liked some of our posts before. Mm. I don't know if she's following us. She might just be following the hashtag of her own name <coughs> on Instagram. We'll see. That'd but, be cool. Uh, but she did like some of our posts from before when we talked about Master and Apprentice and things mm-hmm. like that. Fantastic And book. so she is uh, the author of the book Into the Dark. You like that? Yeah, nice. Um, and so it's a young adult novel, but don't write it off because uh, I think that... W- when I first started reading Star Wars and I would see a young adult novel, I would be like, oh, that's for that's just for kids. But I really think it's it's uh, late teens. Yeah, and here's the it's, thing. it's really just the central story is around a young adult. Yeah, Justine Ireland wrote Test of Courage, which is true to type. It's a children's novel. I Unless you're a completist, I don't recommend it, honestly. It was just so-so. Uh, and you're not really going to miss anything by not reading There's it. a lot of, I, I'm not going to name names, but there are uh, YouTube channels um, 
that are they get a lot of love from like Star Wars outlets, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a review for Into the Dark just as a refresher, you know. Mm-hmm. Cuz when you're reading a book, the last third is really on your mind once you're done and you got to kind of go back and and uh drudge up the the beginning. Anyways, uh one YouTuber was like Okay, so this is the third book to have been released behind Light of the Jedi and Test of Courage. And I would say, you know, it's right there in the middle. Light of the Jedi was amazing. Test of Courage was good. Uh, <laughs> and this one I liked, you know, they're in the middle. And I was like, that was the best way to say Test of Courage. I read it, you know. Yeah, cause, just cause, give me my little merit badge and let me move on with my yeah. life. I'll never revisit that book. I actually did not read it. Yeah. Because you had read it and you were like, I was like, is there something, you know, do I need to read this to keep the story going? And you're like, absolutely not. Mm -mm. No. And the thing is, I think it's only like four and a half hours long if you listen to it on Audible. Yeah. Which is usually like, that's a light snack, but it took me forever to get through it because I'd listened to it. Who's it read by? uh, Some some person. You know what I could do? Nobody I knew. You know what I could do is that... um, Eventually, we'll have to get into the Alphabet Squadron trilogy that they just finished, and it's like post-Imperial Reign, pre-First Order. We can call that episode Alphabet Soup. Yeah, exactly. So there's three books. They just came out with a third book. I have the first one on Audible already, so what I'll probably do is download and get through Test of Courage, if it's really as non-palatable as you say. And then what I'll do is Audible has a, uh, if you didn't like it, trade it in thing, and I'll just trade it in. For a mm. book I know I'll like. Clever. Which I've already pre-ordered the Thrawn book for two months down the road. So I can't trade it in for that. Uh, yeah, but you have, I think you have a year. Once you buy the book, you have a year to trade it in if you didn't like it. So Interesting. there are people I know that they just trade in books like crazy. And they're just listening to tons of books at a time. Because they'll listen to a book and they immediately trade it in. I like to feel like I own the audiobook afterward. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do. But you know what I'm saying? Like... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to trade an heir to the empire for something and then not have that ready to go again in my mm-hmm. queue. Yeah, I do re-listen quite a bit. Yeah, yes. For me, it's heir to the empire, legacy of the force, uh, stepping outside of Star Wars. The Harry Potter audiobooks are always really high quality. You can't beat James Dale. Yeah, he's fantastic. So, uh, Into the Dark is a pretty. It's a great. It's a great book. There's nothing about the book that if you're an adult versus a young adult. Uh, there's nothing in there that you're like, this is sissy stuff. Yeah, I don't think it's like really out of reach. No, you know I think I mean? that for yeah, as I'm as a I'm regular adult, I guess. Right. You know? As I was reading it, I was realizing that um, when I I was thinking when you go to the Scholastic Book Fair and it's like this one's for people who can read reading level four right and i'd be like oh god c spot run all right five bucks you know <laughs> so that's kind of when i when i first saw uh the launch for the force awakens book stuff that mm-hmm. was coming out there was that book called lost stars which i believe was by claudia gray and there are many many people that say that the anything in new canon lost stars is their favorite book and it's a young adult book and so as i was i was like well everybody keeps talking well, I think about master it. and apprentice is technically a young adult book as well no way. Yeah, I think so. No, it's it's not because of the uh, the hard the hardback is the size of a regular hardback. Young adults, the hardbacks are always smaller. Have you noticed that? Is that real? Mm-hmm. Explain to me, Rackety Tam. That's a full sized. It's a full sized novel because his whole 
it's because it's a fantasy whatever. Like, it's not necessarily for a specific thing. Are you talking about size of the book or mm-hmm. thickness of the book? How tall it is. Yeah, Rackety Tam was huge. No, I know. But all, he wrote for children. Well, all the Redwall books, they're... I'm talking about specifically in Star Wars, how they catalog it. Um, for instance, like... Uh, We're going to see what the Google says. That's, that's what I've always heard. At least when it applies to Star Wars. Lost Stars is a smaller hardback. Into the Dark was smaller. But like uh, Light of the Jedi, Darth Bane, those things are all that larger hardback size. Where does it tell me? Are you going to look up... It just says novel. It would it would specify young adult novel, wouldn't it? Yeah, Master and Apprentice is definitely an adult novel. I mean, not like a... I feel like it was young Not like a... Not that kind of adult novel, but... It's for grown-ups. Fifty Shades of Claudia Gray. Fifty Shades of Real Avarice. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's is funny. Late. It's funny because Claudia Gray wrote that book and yeah. talks about the sexuality yeah, of the yeah, Jedi. Yeah. And it's kind of in this book a lot. I Not a lot, but early pretty on. Up, pretty up front. Yeah. They're like, Jedi, huh? Eunuchs? No sex? Okay. <laughs> Sucks. That's basically the, the point they're kind of trying to get across. Okay, so Into the Dark is really great. Uh, so you basically have your main character, who is uh, Reith Silas. He's a Jedi Padawan. Yeah. But I, I think he's, like, kind of advanced in his... He's I think he's 17 or 18. Yeah, yeah, he's, like, 17 years old or something like that. Yeah. He is... Okay, so he's basically to the point where his master is allowing him to go on journeys and things to mm-hmm. try to advance his... Um, so, Reith as a character is very... Uh, he's kind of a bookworm. He's a studier. He wants to be... His thing is, he would rather have the crappier um, apartment or whatever you want to call it, dorm, closest to the, uh, the archives. Mm-hmm. He'd rather have the smaller worse dorm closer mm-hmm. to the archives because that's his passion yeah. is knowledge and books and learning and stuff like that which is great um but his master um wants him to expand his horizons and basically yes you're an amazing uh you're an amazing jedi on the scholastic side of things uh but can you be more well-rounded mm-hmm. and it's interesting because uh jora molly which is his master's name her previous apprentice, who is Des Rydan, um, it was really hard for me to, because uh, of course we listened on Audible, mm-hmm. it's, it was hard for me to see him as a human being because the voice that the guy used for him was totally a toilet style voice. Mm. Did you pick up on that? I kind of associated him in my mind with Talon Card. So Okay, yeah. That's kind yeah, of it was just like, me. I'm Des Rydan. And I was like, this guy's a mixture of a... Is it Twilight Condo? Uh, but it's kind of like a Spanish voice. Yeah. But it was kind of, yeah, it kind of flirted back and forth mm-hmm. sometimes between Spanish and French, which that French accent is totally a Twilight thing. Yeah. So uh, the thing about Reed, though, is that he's kind of a, a, a tryhard. So even though his interests yeah. are mainly scholastic, you know, there's a point where, you know, push comes to shove and he's like, but even though it wasn't his interest, who was still number one in all the dueling classes? <laughs> yeah. Wreath Silas. Well, it turns out that he's an Freaking amazing nerd. Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that he was like naturally talented. He just works really, really yeah. hard. Is something that his master was kind of observing very early mm-hmm. on in the novel. Right. Well, there's uh, there's a guy that I, I work with that's an older gentleman. And uh, his thing that he's that I learned from him is think for me. 
you know, like if you're out at a job site somewhere, uh, basically the concept of don't, you know, do your best to never redelegate to your boss. So if we're out on a project somewhere, if I keep calling my boss and asking, Hey, we're, you know, what color do you want this in? Okay. What do you want to do for this? Okay. Well, how, you know, if we're going to cut this wood, should I get this kind of wood or this kind of wood? And at this point, basically it'll be easier for him just to do the job. Right. And so Reith is, is the perfect think for me kind of guy. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's a self-starter. He's motivated. He's just kind of at the beginning, not wimpy, but just very reserved. Mm-hmm. His natural bent is definitely towards knowledge, right. studying. Well, and that's you know. the kind of the quest I think for he's him. The, he's that, the Obi Wan. Yeah, it's not that not he Anakin. is incapable of pursuing adventure. It's just that it's he just would nice rather not to. So it's kind of about him learning um, what it means to be a Jedi and taking on all mm-hmm. the aspects of the job as opposed to. Um, just really settling for what he would like to do. Right. It's interesting because obviously the character advances, and that's one mm-hmm. of the characteristics of a young adult novel is... There's a lot of character development. Character development yeah. that's important to young adult reading, which is cool. Um, so his thing is, it turns out some of your greatest strengths are not the strengths you come by naturally, mm-hmm. which is a cool concept. So Wreath and... Um, there's a master Comac, mm-hmm. and uh, there's no pictures of him. Yeah, which I, w- stinks. I would like to have some pictures of him. Just so in I can my kind mind, of visualize him. he looks just like Qui Gon Jinn because the guy's voice kind of read like Qui Gon Jinn, and throughout the book, he does Qui Gon type things. I kind of see him as a little bit older than Qui Gon. Yeah, I think so too. Maybe not as tall, a little bit broader. Yeah. So you're saying me when I'm old? <laughs> uh, so Reith is there with uh, Master Comac, um, who and obviously then- I love because. You know, he he has such a Qui-Gon-esque character. Yeah, yeah. He, he was probably the coolest choice. character in the book. Yeah, I liked that even in the... Well, the coolest character we'll get to in a second, but... <laughs> Are we talking... Uh... We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he was just cool because he was kind of... He was really advanced. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a Jedi Master. You yeah. don't get there easily. And he still had things about the Jedi Code that he, you know, couldn't really get behind so it was kind of interesting watching him yeah uh, grapple with those things i really enjoyed um the way that they brought some of those questions about mm-hmm. was um you know in the original trilogy or well, the prequel trilogy more than the original uh the prequel trilogy when anakin struggles with something it's you're not allowed to ask questions right. and that's why secrecy is a thing which leads to the destruction of the jedi and I think one of the points of this um, era pointing out the High Republic is we're really seeing 200 years before the beginning of the end because the the rigidness is starting to grow within the Jedi of it is what it is because it is. Mm-hmm. This, this novel talks about that a lot. Um, how come you're supposed to have a master for your whole life? You know, mm-hmm. even when you become a knight, that's still your master. You still see him that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We know that because in the original trilogy, you know, uh, Obi-Wan still calls Yoda his master and says, so was I, if you remember. Like, there's still that relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can I speak if I may? Like, there's still that, you know. I mean, I think that kind of exists in all areas of life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you, I don't, but, It's hard to just, like, you can't be just, somebody subordinate and then just become a peer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in that same vein of thought, have someone that is so important to your development 
um, or for your apprentice, someone who's so important to your development as far as leadership goes. Mm -hmm. But if something terrible were to happen to them, there's, okay, well, I guess we're going to move on from it. Yeah. Like you don't really work on your, um, you don't process your emotions. There's no, there's no time for grief, grief. Mm -hmm. Um, and so anyways, well, I don't want to unpack it too much, but, uh, so they're going on a journey and, uh, there's not a whole lot written about what they're going to go do. Uh, they're just going to the outer rim. Cause of course, in this era of time, the Republic is expanding and trying to bring wealth and prosperity to all areas of, you know, their known galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot that the outer rim has to offer. So it's a cool, you know, trade going on. Of course, starlight beacon is a thing that's about to happen. Um, and so this is, the beginning of this novel takes place just before the great disaster, which is kind of at the heart of all the events within yeah, Light of the Jedi. The main, that's the main uniting factor across all the different platforms right. so far. So, uh, so you have Reed Silas, and then you've got um, you've got Master Comac, uh, and then you have uh, Reed's Basically, I've heard it. You know. Uh, kind of described as his big Jedi brother because the fir- mm-hmm. he's the previous Padawan to uh, his master, who is Dez Rydan. Mm-hmm. And Dez is cool because Dez is the opposite of Wreath. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has knowledge, he's willing to learn, but adventure is kind of his thing. So they're part of the group. And then you also have uh, this character. I'll let you kind of unpack her a little bit because she was, I, I could tell you really, I liked her character a lot. Uh, is Orla Jereni. So she has. She's an interesting concept because she's like kind of like Ahsoka before Ahsoka in a way that there's yeah. a a concept that they introduced that I guess is done away with by the time we get to, you know, the Phantom Menace era. And she's what's called a Wayseeker. Yeah. So it's way essentially seeker. a Jedi that has kind of come to parting terms with the Jedi Council. Right. Um, whether it be they want to you know, discover different interests or like they talked about somebody became like a famous, famous singer or something like that. Yeah. So they stepped away from the Jedi order. Well, it's interesting because the, um, I think that you have to be approved to be a way seeker. So it's kind of like, it's not, I'm leaving it's like the, an amicable thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, I'm not leaving the order. Right. But there are things about the force that I want to know more about. Right. And so she's, which it was that. interesting to me that, this concept and this character was a thing, but there's the character, uh, Stellan Geos, maybe, is the character from Light of the Jedi. Him and Avar Chris, you can tell, kind of have a lot of chemistry. And remember, he was... Uh, talking about Elzar? Yeah, there you go. Elzar Man, sorry. I was surprised that he wasn't a Wayseeker because he kind of fit the bill when I was hearing about what, you know, what a Wayseeker was. Uh, I think the main difference is that... Um, I guess he doesn't disagree necessarily right. with the council. And that's kind of one of the fundamental things about Avar's or uh, Orla's character is that, um, you know, we're talking about different things of struggling with um, reconciling, growing in the Force, and sort of the Code of the Jedi, which isn't necessarily the same thing as the light side of the Force. Right. And um, there's this one line in the book that's kind of like really defining for this character where it says, you know, it took her a long time to reconcile that if the Jedi were telling her not to listen to the force because she's very instinctual. Mm -hmm. Like she, or I guess instinctive is the right word, but she um, really relies on her instincts as opposed to maybe like the, what she was trained to do. You know, she feels like she's supposed to do something else. So, um, which that concept of don't trust your instincts, just that's, that seems to permeate all the way to the Phantom Menace 
because Qui-Gon is kind of a salmon upstream by saying, use your instincts, you mm. know? Yeah. But she says, you know, if the, it took her a long time to reconcile that if the Jedi were telling her not to listen to the force, it wasn't the force that was wrong. Right. Um, so that's kind of like a theme throughout the book, but it's really personified through Orla, uh, that she would have, you know, kind of that relationship with a Jedi where she's like, I respect you. I love you or whatever, but I'm going to do something else. Right. Um, and she's kind of cool. You see her in like the, uh, the concept art from like the very beginning of the release. She's mm-hmm. the one. It looks like she has two lightsabers, but it's just a, it's a foldy double yeah. bladed lightsaber. Similar to kind of like dark, Ray. dark Ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, she's a really cool character. You know what? When they first introduced her, I was like, is she going to be a problem? Like, that's kind of how I, I pictured it, which kind of shows how rigid I am in my Jedi <laughs> beliefs. <laughs> oh, this chick's got questions. We should kick her out. Uh, but she ended up being, uh, Really kind of the laminin, if you will, the glue of the team. Yeah, because um, she, I don't know, she just had a foot in every camp, but she yeah. was... Not, really, in a, not in a ratty kind right. of way, but in a... Uh, she had enough in common with everybody that she was kind exactly. of to unite. I was going to say, her her empathy extended to this situation, this situation, and this situation, mm-hmm. and, and she can see where everybody knows why they think they're right, mm-hmm. and she's the one who's had the will to open up her mind to... Maybe there's more out there. Yeah. You know? Uh, so Orla Journey, very cool character. So it's Dez, Orla Journey, Master Comac, and Reed Silas. Those are the four Jedi going yeah, on this the journey. Main Jedi on the journey. So right off the bat, the it's funny because they're supposed to have this lavish ship that's supposed to take them out to the outer rim and it breaks down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who shows up to take them but Space Matthew McConaughey? Yeah. Uh, who for as sexy as he looks, apparently is not really a sexual kind of guy. Yeah, I thought it was funny when it was kind of analyzing him for the first time, but it was through Wreath's lens, and Mm -hmm. he's like, who is this guy? (laughs) Is this guy on Spice? (laughs) No, how much Spice is this guy on? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, like, he's for sure on drugs, but now we just need to know how much. Um, But he was a really cool, I mean, he was Space Matthew McConaughey. He was just really super chill. He was um, like, hey, but he had his head on straight, and yeah, he knew what he was yeah. talking about. He kind of reminded me of uh, he's kind of a c- more country version of like a Star Lord character, mm. like kind of goofy, but like you know, whenever Star Lord and Rocket are piloting, and it mm. like really gets down to the nitty gritty, they're amazing at what they do. Yeah, that's kind of how that's kind of how uh, uh, this guy is. Yeah, he's just kind of quirky, but he's you know for all. I guess if you looked at super objectively, he's like one of the best pilots in his little guild or whatever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, man, I cannot remember. The Buying Guild. Yeah. What is this guy's name, though? Yeah. Uh, I knew it until you asked me. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't remember. It's... Um, uh, dude. Leox Jossie. There you go. Leox. I always remember it because it sounds like it reminds me of the Lorax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's kind of, if you're listening to the audio, but he's kind of, hey, my name's Leox, and I'm just going to, we're going to have a great time. Like, it's very, mm-hmm. it is Space Matthew McConaughey. Uh, it's cool because, like, I I thought that he would be, like, a super annoying flirt the entire time. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of nice that he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he's one of those guys that's like, why have sex when I can have spice? Like, that's kind of his... Not not that he says that, but he was like... Dude, I thought it was funny that his one takeaway was like, 
all these people chasing tail, but man, I freed up a heap of time. Yeah, you know? it was like, I've got so much time on my hands, and that's why I've become such a great person. Uh, okay, so he's the captain of uh, the ship that they go on. It's called The Vessel, which is like such a dumb, like, yeah, it's kind of country like just the hipster running he's funny like, thing. He's like, welcome to The Vessel. And they're like, what's the name of the ship? And he's like, The Vessel. Yeah, you know? imagine, like, he thinks that joke is so funny that he really committed to it. It's right. like... Paint it on the side, vessel. Um, and so, the most interesting character in the book by far is his first mate, his uh, navigator. His navigator, yeah, he's kind of the right, the right hand man, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the strong, silent type. Uh, but he is kind of the rock of the group. You know, oh he's he's the it. steadiest one. <laughs> Geode. <laughs> if you're watching, uh, if you're watching via. Or if you're listening, if you're sorry, just listening. If, Geode is. If you're not watching on YouTube, he's a rock. He's an actual rock. He's a rock. Like an actual, like a the boulder. Yeah, not like he's he, an actual. He like not, not Dwayne Johnson, the rock. Yeah, he's like not an actual. The, can rock. you smell? Not a human being that calls themselves the rock. Not a character that looks like a rock. Not a person who has a stoic expression and doesn't say much. Not a rock monster. Not the mountain giants from the Hobbit trilogy. No. We are talking about a rock. An actual rock. An actual rock. And uh, he rocks. He rocks. Okay, I'll be honest. I loved this character. I enjoyed it because it's one of those things like... Because you're seeing everything from the perspective of the Jedi. It needs to be in a book. Right. It needs to be in a book. Because... They get there, and he's like, and this is our navigator, Geode. And he's like, and he laughs, and he goes, that's just a nickname, because apparently his real name, you can't say it unless you don't have a mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. Okay, so obviously, uh, one of the things that I haven't enjoyed about this whole thing of the High Republic is, uh, okay, so Disney owns Star Wars, and Disney obviously is very politically correct, is what mm-hmm. it is. Um and for depending on what kind of person you are, maybe you're like, yeah, that's a good thing. Political correctness is good. And maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum and you're not a fan of it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but I have seen a lot of hate uh, from people who refuse to get into the content at all because they're like, it doesn't matter. This isn't this isn't real to me because Disney's just a PC, blah, 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 blah. And so one of the main characters who gets the pushback on that is my friend Geode here, and uh, but he's a kind soul. He never pushes back. And, uh, and so it irritates me because, of course, the concept art, you don't read the it's book. It's hilarious. Like, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's one of those Lego pieces yeah. that's just like a rock. Dude, and here's the thing, though, is that obviously he doesn't say a single word. Yeah. He's just silent the entire book. But, but it's always character. interpreted as fitting to the occasion where it's yeah. like his solemn silence was enough to get his point across. Or, you know, they were kind of like, all right, Geode. And they're like, he didn't gloat, though. You know? Yeah. It's, or it'll be like, uh, Geode, what'd you think? And it's like, you could just tell by his silent demeanor what his opinion was. His calm silence was very reassuring. You know, yeah. stuff like that. It was always interpreted to Geo the occasion. didn't have to say a thing. Just being there was enough. Yeah, it's super funny, dude. But it's the perfect character for a book because mm-hmm. you can write the character versus... Right. Like, it's just one of those things okay, where it's Okay, if like, this was a movie and there was just a rock in the corner, it would be irritating. Yeah. But because you can write what the characters feel about him mm-hmm. or what he feels, right. uh, it's a perfect scenario. So... 
if you're out there and you don't like geode, whatever, man. Uh, I will say That's that... That's just like your opinion, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he does do things. He does things throughout he the book. He does do things. He um, saves the day multiple yeah, times. he really does. And I love that they're talking about um, when they get back from this trip and they make all this money... Um, you know, Leox, Leox, a good polish. Yeah. Leox was like, maybe I'll get some of them fancy space boots here. I've been hearing about on Coruscant. Hey, maybe Gio will get himself a nice polish. I thought that was freaking That's funny, so funny dude. dude. I have questions though. You know, how does he get around? I think he has to be somewhat force sensitive because how does he like push buttons for the navigation? Well, remember or the move? beginning of Rise of Skywalker when their Why lights... navigation so weird, <laughs> right? Their mm-hmm. light speed skipping at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, and Poe is walking to the front and he goes, "Claude, you working on things?" And Claude just goes, "Er," and then looks down and and okay, so Claude's like a giant uh, slug. slug with eyes. He's basically a. Uh, uh, what are those things that micro picks up that's really gross? A gooey duck. Oh, uh, and so a uh, freaking claw just goes. And if you're not watching and you're just listening, I'm staring into the microphone, and sparks start shooting off in the Falcon. So apparently, like, you know, it's not out of okay. So people were like, "This isn't Star Wars. This is dumb. This is blah blah, blah Disney." Blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing, okay. Chewbacca, one of the greatest characters in Star Wars history, is a giant Sasquatch character that you never understand a thing he says. And he's been, he's, it's not like in books you can read what he says. It literally says, and he uttered a low growl in response. And we just accept it. And I think that this is one of those moments where... If anything, Geode is the most Star Wars character in this whole book. That's what I'm saying. I think we've, we've gotten to a point where people... It's funny because pushback because Disney is has these views or is PC or whatever. It's funny because now people on the other side who don't like Disney's Star Wars are doing the thing that they're irritated about, which is like, you know, you guys canceled my expanded universe, which but now you're not willing to enjoy new stories with new characters. If this rock was in the Darth Bane trilogy, we would never hear the end of how cool it was. But because it's in a, you know what I'm saying? It's in a new mm. medium. People don't appreciate it. But I thought Geo was a cool character. I loved Claudia Gray. Could not have gotten me more attached to a giant rock that was a navigator for a, for a ship. She yeah, did I remember, a great job. I remember just, I really had to come around on this though, because he was like, so this Geo character? And I was like, just you wait. Right. The first, I will say this. If you're a reader or if you're a listener, you know, if you're doing audiobooks. Um, this is a book that one of the hard things about the High Republic is you have to establish there's a lot of every storyline. Yeah. And so we got kind of spoiled with um okay, hey, we're in, you know, we're used to even when we went back to the prequels from the original trilogy, we knew who Obi Wan was. Mm-hmm. We knew of Padme. We knew she was, you know, the person that Anakin falls in love with. We knew who Anakin was, we knew who Palpatine was. There was a lot going on. That we were already aware about, so it was just reestablishing established characters. Mm-hmm. The High Republic is having to go in here and do a data dump of all new storylines, all new characters. What are the Jedi most afraid of? And your mind says, well, yeah, the Sith. No, not the Sith. The Sith have been extinct for a millennia. Like, in their mind, the Sith are no more. So what's the biggest threat to the Jedi? Mm-hmm. And to me, the biggest threat to the Jedi at this point are uh, things that 
um, can limit their ability to use the force. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're, we're talking about. So um, it's cool. So they're going on this journey. And then pretty early on in the book, the great disaster yeah, takes place. Yeah, we've forgotten one character, um, which is Affy Hollow. Right. Um, she's the kind of more the first mate. There's not really any concept art of her, but she's on the cover of the novel. Um, and she works on the vessel mm-hmm. with Leox and Geode. And she's kind of the adopted daughter of the person who runs the... Scoverbind. Yeah, Scoverbind. She's a bivalve. If you don't know what that is, if you've watched The Clone Wars, um, there is that scientist that works with Palpatine on <laughs> uh, on the Zillow Beast. Yes. And so that's a bivalve. Looks kind of like a... I don't know, like a, roost, a, like a rooster of, duck? Yeah, kind of like a dinosaur chicken looking thing mm-hmm. with a big... Uh, kind of like a goose thing on the, in the middle of their face but anyways Affie is on the ship as well mm-hmm. and she's um, she's an important character to the novel yeah um, she's, she's one of the main characters i would say her her and um and wreath are probably the two main characters yeah, i would say for sure so they're on their way to the outer rim and the great disaster happens and hyperspace is shut down mm-hmm. and so when this happens they have to stop at what's called it's, it's just a random station in the middle of space it, they didn't really know anything about it mm-hmm. and it used to be run by a species called the amaxines so they just call it a maxine station which is this bad boy here um now here's what's interesting is you if you're familiar with the rise of kylo ren comic series you may think that this is a screen grab from that comic series but it's not this is a screen grab of um, a video from the Star Wars YouTube that's describing things within the High Republic. I can't remember what video specifically this is from. Uh, but basically, the station is a giant, um, what do they call it? An arboreum? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, a giant garden uh, that has been encased uh, with this, you know, these hexagon shaped glass, you know, you know, makes a sphere. And then it's kind of hard to understand, but if you okay, if you're just listening, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture for you. So imagine a giant garden that is under a glass dome, basically, and the whole thing is just a sphere. And around it, there are these rings, uh, similar to like what you see with Saturn, but instead of just around the middle, there's also some at each pole. And at the center of these rings is this giant. Uh, a cylinder that runs through the middle of so the planet. Here's the thing, and that's where you move around in. Is uh, if you look on the Wikipedia page for the Maxine Station, there's a conversation snippet from Ben Solo and Snoke, right on that page. Yeah, which is interesting. It's it is very similar. Uh, this could be. A screen grab from that screen from from that comic, but without the secondary panel showing. No, it's basic. It is the same picture as the one that's. It's okay. like just from a different angle, and it's kind of decomposed a little bit. Yeah, but for as far as we can tell, this is where Snoke lives. So you think that Snoke lives in the exact same station yeah. later on? That's pretty cool. Like on the Wikipedia page, it's kind of confirmed that it's the exact same thing. So, uh, what's crazy about the Amaxine Station is that. Um, they get there, and there's a little chunk of the book that is focused on yeah, these four it's, idols. It's canon confirmed that this oh, is really? where Snoke lives. Dang, that's cool. What a cool connection. Mm-hmm. 200 years before 
the original trilogy. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that this, because of, um, I guess this is like the biggest spoiler we're going to talk about, but um, it's kind of inhabited by the Drangir, which we've known from, you know, the introduction of the High Republic information. Right. um, What's crazy. There's the Nihil, which is what uh, Light of the Jedi focuses on, but there's also this other villain. Yeah. That's just as threatening. The Nihil are basically Space Mad Max. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are these idols that seem to be radiating with the dark side. So Mm -hmm. the Jedi realized, man, we really need to put a a force shield around these things and take them off this station because they're really causing some trouble here. And they kept having nightmares. And then eventually one of the Jedi, Des Rydan, who's Reese's older brother, uh, is thought to have gone missing Mm -hmm. or died, um, kind of uh, uh, vaporated. You know, just vaporized. Vaporized, there you go. Exploded, basically. Um, and so they're thinking, okay, well, now that hyperspace is back open, once it's been restored, let's go back to Coruscant, and we'll take these idols with us, and we'll figure out, um, you know, the safest place for this dark side energy is probably in the Jedi Temple so that it can be monitored and kept away, uh, kind of like the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones. You know what's interesting is they talk about... Um where they put the idols, and I think they kind of put the idols in the Sith shrine. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. That's the, talked about in Tolkien. I, I can't remember exactly what they talk about, what they call it, but it's like the. But it was talking about how the old shadow it was underneath and the, or whatever. You know, the steps were yeah. all the way worn down, and well, they they it talks about how before the Jedi claimed that mountain that the it was kind of a yeah. dark side nexus. Yeah, it was a cool it was a cool connection point there because mainly was, to the Tarkin. Novel. They were supposed to talk about that in the Clone Wars, and then when Clone Wars was canceled, James Lucino or Lucino put it in the Tarkin novel mm-hmm. of the shrine underneath um, the Jedi Temple where it was a Sith shrine. That mm-hmm. when the Jedi took over Coruscant, they kind of they built it on top of that because it was somewhat of a dark side nexus. And if we can put our whole school on top of here the light of the force will will dampen that darkness mm-hmm. um so i guess same thing with these idols let's go and put these back where all the crap already is and cover over them with with the good um now the problem is they go to try to take this shield off and figure out okay can we defeat the darkness that's contained within these idols here's a cool call back to uh for those of you who are comic fans they talk about not knowing exactly what to do because there's only a few other mentions of items that have been imbued with an identity which within the dark side of the force. And what they're referencing um, is Darth Momin, who is in the Darth Vader comics. And there's a, there's a point where uh, Palpatine has just a freaking treasure trove of Sith artifacts. And one of them is this mask. And uh, very similar to Nihilus, where uh, Vader believes that if he can, uh, he can use the power within the mask to open up a portal back into time and save Padme. It's freaking crazy. And Moment outwits Vader and uses it to bring himself back to life. And his spirit um, inhabits, uh, you know, a human being there. And once the human being puts on the mask. He is re-embodied, and his his spirit basically takes over that body. It's a very Voldemort kind of experience, um, and so that's that's what they're referencing with these idols. Is there's only a few other obstacles that they've or uh, a few other objects they've talked about being um, Sith personalities having uh, encapsulated themselves inside. So that was kind of a cool. It was very cool that 
I will say this, for all the things you do or don't like about the Disney stuff that they've put out as far as novels and comics and things, they do a great job of tying things to mm-hmm. one another. For sure. You know, in, just in these little last few minutes we've been talking, we've we've referenced Tarkin, we've referenced the comics, we've referenced, uh, there's something we're going to talk about towards the end of the book that's from another Vader comic. Um, so basically, when they take these idols away, they find out these idols were not imbued with the dark side. They were a gate that was basically caging uh, this crazy dark side energy, which we didn't know this before. The dark side energy is the Dringir themselves. Um, they are a... Uh, it's kind of hard to see how big these characters are. I guess I can go to the next slide. So you know how big a Wampa is right. from Hoth. This is a Dringir just completely enveloping and eating a Wampa. And it talks about how their, their idea of life is to consume and they're very much fueled by the dark side um it talks about how the they were considered a formidable foe by the ancient sith which of course makes the jedi at the time crap their pants because the sith haven't even been talked about uh for you know a thousand years yeah so what we find out is the sith are the ones that actually put those statues there and use those right they did a binding ritual mm-hmm. which basically made them go the, them the drinker go dormant you know it's kind, now that i'm thinking about it it's it's almost like they did a not the same but similar to the thought bomb that bane does i think it's i mean the thought bomb is way more extreme um yeah and it you can't get out of actually, it actually like vaporizes anybody involved but i think I guess what I'm thinking of is there's, when I picture it in my mind, there's like this silver floating, like, you know, whatever. Well, and there's, there's and nothing the souls visible, of those people but are trapped inside the thought bomb. I think the difference is that the Drangir are so um, deeply tied to the dark side itself that yeah. it kind of neutralizes their ability to function. Right. Well, it's, yeah, exactly. So the gate that they, that they create, the binding ritual that they perform, um, basically... Uh, makes it where they are dormant. And so when they wake up, they see the Jedi's lightsabers and they say, these are the people who imprisoned us. And then one of the drinkers say, no, the one who imprisoned us before, their their swords that burned were red. Uh, it was cool to hear them talk about what how they pictured a lightsaber, swords mm-hmm. that were burning. Um, so here's not a hiccup for me, but I was confused and I wanted to kind of talk it over with you. Um, so... The Dringir are sentient, mm-hmm. okay, but they're like only sentient in the fact that they can communicate because they're just obsessed with eating. Like everything is just eating to them. But at the same time, they know how to f- function hyperspace travel. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's kind of like almost like a catch-22, like s- completely enthralled with consuming And that's like all they think about, which is not really a sentient concept, right? Like any animal in the world, they know they need to eat, but they're also smart enough to travel at light speed. I don't think they're crippled by, it's just a a big part of their existence is that they need to consume, but um, they're clearly. Do you think that they're, they're all connected? They're all the way sentient. And if they were, if they were connected like a hive mind. They wouldn't need to communicate amongst themselves yeah. like they do. No, they definitely have different. There's parts where, um, there's parts of the story where you end up finding out that. I mean, I guess we're, we're unpacking the book, so we're just gonna 
if you haven't read it and you don't want to know, just leave, I guess. But <laughs> uh, so Des Rydan was not killed. He was taken via hyperspace uh, to what we assume is their home planet, wherever that is. Um, and so the Drangir, uh have captured him and have basically been questioning him, um, you know, what's going on. Like, they've been awakened. Uh, so does the binding ritual bind them even away from the station? No, no. They were trapped there because they knew that they sent their party off and they didn't hear anything about victory or defeat, so they just kind of disappeared. Right. So they wouldn't go back to the Maxine station because they didn't know if it was safe to go. Right, okay. So they, I they had just now. been existing there. But So wherever Dez is, life has gone on as usual for the Drengear. Yeah. But their ability to continue their conquests to consume and feast on the rest of the galaxy has been halted. Yeah, so what happened is the Maxines tried to take over the world where they lived. And right. That, they set everything up, and then they, I guess, got their crap packed, and the Drangir then returned to the station. And right. I guess that's where the Sith found them as they tried to use the station to kind of do a galactic conquest. Um, but it, I think they didn't, they hadn't developed hyperspace travel. They were just an incredible warrior race where they existed and then somebody found them and then unleashed a great evil. Right. If that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, so somehow the Sith come in contact with the Drangir. I guess they find the station as well. It would be my guess that the Sith would just be aware of such like a great dark side disturbance. Yeah. Similar um, to Palpatine. Yeah. So, okay. So think about this, the Drangir, Maybe they're they're full sentient, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe they it's kinda like us. Okay, if aliens are out there, we don't know how to communicate with them, but they may have knowledge of us. So in the similar state, maybe the Drangir have completely taken over their home planet. I think about it like the Nogri. Right, exactly. That, like they they're top dog on their planet and they're so evolved as far as their ability to fight that they're actually exceptional within the galaxy, but they themselves haven't developed hyperspace travel. Right. And so the Amaxines try to take over their place. And mm-hmm. like you said, they get destroyed and the Dringer go back gave to them the, the old station. Uno reverse card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these, you know, I've got one last plan to play. These hands. Right. Uh, or these roots in this case. Okay. So then that's how they get to the station. But before they can leave the station to, to further their quest to, to eat, mm-hmm. the Sith meet them there. And that's how they've been bound. Mm hmm. Um, so now my question is, they've introduced the Dringer as this huge threat and there are other stories that are happening in the High Republic where they're on a different planet. Right. How's this going on? No freaking clue. From, uh, the, from I, the Maxine station So somehow? if we can kind of, and I, I really don't know because it's not talked about, I assume all will be revealed in time. Um, and by the way, if you have read the book and you're like but what about the nihil the nihil do play a part um yeah. there are a couple characters that are kind of introduced during the time of the great disaster and then there's um, this old zabrak guy i can't remember his name and then the main nihil character is a girl called nan mm-hmm. and they're the only two people aboard the station um and they are well they're part of the people that just ended up there during, during the great exact great disaster and the jedi aboard the vessel kind of get everybody there so there were a few right. ships and 
um, few different parties, but they were kind of left behind when the hyperspace routes opened up because their ship had taken damage. Yeah, and there's actually a, a species that, I don't know if this is their first introduction, but there's no pictures of them, and I can't remember their name, but they're talked about as a pink-skinned uh, relative of the Gamorians. Remember that? Vaguely. It was at the, like one of the very beginning. It was they were like going to kill Nan or whatever, and that's when. Well, the guy that was going to kidnap Nan, he was he was a he was human, a human. I think. But one of the other characters within th- there was there was like basically kind of like no good. They're not pirates per se, but they were just going to yeah. Just well, I guess everything belongs to me on the station since there's nobody here. Yeah. And then the other group that they were kind of going to bet heads with were those other uh, species. Yeah. Those pink pigs. But so, anyway, I think the biggest tent that we have about and i i think the drangir kind of the answer to a question i asked a few episodes ago that um there's in the introduction to all the high republic it's the same kind of you know screen role if you will Mm -hmm. you know like the introduction like more you know Mm -hmm. uh and i think that the drangir are kind of the answer to that question about what's the threat to the force itself right Um, and i think we see in their the third installment of the High Republic comic. Um, mm-hmm. If you go, yeah, ahead on the slide. Do, do you want to finish? Do you want to talk about Martian just for a second? He doesn't. He doesn't really come into the book at all. Well, he's at the, he's at the end. So to wrap up the story within here, they leave. They realize that two things are wrong. Uh, one, the the idols they've captured are not evil they've been holding the evil back they mm-hmm. realize this so they've got to go put them back where they belong so that the evil that's on that station cannot expand to the rest of the galaxy two as they're doing kind of a recap with um with your main boy uh they realize that uh the nihil are this issue and the nihil you know uh guy finds out what is his character's name um breathe finds out that his his master's been killed by the Nihil. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so what are the Nihil? What's going on? And they're like, so here's what the Nihil are. Kind of giving, catching him up as he's catching them up on what happened on the station. And he realizes as they're describing it, holy crap, these two characters that we like basically took in and took care of were totally playing us. Mm-hmm. These are Nihil. And so the main Nihil character in the book is Nan. And she's this little girl, probably about the same age as, as uh, Reith. Mm-hmm. And she's asking him all these questions. Wow, what does a Jedi do? What you know? What's their almost kind of like a, a, a Delilah situation where it's like, so how are you so strong? Mm-hmm. You know. And so he's just like he's a wealth of knowledge. And to his um, chagrin, his excitement of being able to finally use his knowledge to help someone else, he's basically just been you know diary of the mouth. Uh, telling all the ins and outs of the Jedi to this Nihil girl. And so by the end of the story, they've shut the the dream gear down on the station. They've rescued Dez from their home planet, uh, from the Drinker home planet, but he's like really messed up. Turns out that they have barbs and things on them that poison and almost uh, incapacitate a human being, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but the book really ends with, they put the idols back in place, so at that station, the dream gear are... Well, no what more. they actually do is um, Wreath shoots out one of the walls um, and all the Drangir sucked right, into the back right, space. Right, 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 And the idols had had been returned. The idols had been returned, but they needed the Drangir to come up to 
pose a distraction for the Nihil. Right. So that they can make an escape. So they kind of destroy one of the idols so that the Drangir and the Nihil can fight. Correct. And then Wreath is caught up in the middle of it. And then he basically creates a vacuum in the station. And he it's a really cool moment where he's like, well, if I miss my master, I know that I'll be one with the force with her. I did what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And before he gets sucked into the vacuum of space, there's a hero that saves him. His name? Geode. Somehow Geode steps in the way and kind of saves Wreath. So long story short, the Dringear on that station destroyed... Um, but the Dringer at their home planet now know that it is safe to return to... I think they're stranded, though, because there's a couple of them that come up in the pod that Wreath... Or Wreath comes back with um, Dez, mm-hmm. and then there was the pod that Dez got launched in, and some right. of the night or the Dringer come back on that pod. Right. But I think those are the only means of... Well, I guess... I don't know. I can't remember how many it said there were. Well, it's crazy because... The thought is, somehow they've got to be able to travel, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we're going to get to. So Nan goes and talks to Martian, Martian Rowe, the Eye of the Storm, the leader of the Night Hill, mm-hmm. and she's telling him, here's the deal, you know, uh, the Jedi destroyed the station, which it was a really important and powerful station for the Night Hill to use, mm-hmm. um, and they killed my master, the, the, the Brack guy, they killed him, and and I'm sorry, and, sh- and he says, you know, it's not your fault. The Jedi did this, but they're going to pay. And the Nihil will be the destruction of the Jedi. And before, I wouldn't have believed it because they're just people. Mm-hmm. But now, I believe that because the Dringer are such a huge threat, that perhaps the Nihil can just strike the the last blow. Yeah. You know, the straw that well, breaks and the camel's back. Well, you know that he has some sort of awareness of how to weaken the Jedi because of how he deals with Loden Greatstorm. Right. In yeah. the uh, Light of the Jedi novel, if you've read it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so this actually ties really well into the third issue of the mm-hmm. High Republic comic books. We're just going to go through some highlights and kind of catch you up on the story and why it's important to the Into the Dark uh, novel. So this is how the Drangir uh, feed. So um, there are two, uh, Serret and Tarek. I want to say are their names. They are not conjoined twins in the physical sense, but they are empaths toward one another. So they basically think each other's thoughts, finish each other's sentences. They're both, uh, their pronouns are they, not because of any sexual preference, but because they function as one individual. Yeah, they don't exist as a single. Correct. So this one is, the, the one brother is captured by uh, the Drengir, and the other one is being infested with the dark side energy that his brother is feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, the roots of the Drengir are kind of going inside, and it's almost like uh, they're feeding off of him, but they're also working through him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting concept. Are they feeding off of his force energy? I'm not really sure. Uh, but this is a great size um, comparison, comparison for if, you. Yeah. Because the other picture is just like. Okay, you have one with the wampa, but you can't really tell how big the rest of it is. It's just the head bigger. The other picture is just the drinker by itself. But this one's really great because you have, you know, two humans and I can't remember what species they are, but um, this drinker is huge. And it's interesting because it's talking about wanting to feed. That just looks like one individual drinker, but I guess there are multiple personalities within it. There were a couple. 
What do you think about that? A couple that? drain gear. I think it, there's just more behind them. Oh, maybe they're talking from behind the main one? Yeah. Um, so what's crazy is um, if you guys remember from the old Clone Wars, not the not the uh, 3D animation, but the 2D, the little five-minute snippets that used to come out back in like 2003, there's a character called Dirge. And Dirge is impervious to any kind of weaponry because um, his... Kind of like Deadpool. You just... Yeah, reforms his his body. It's not like a starfish where if you cut a starfish in half, they form two starfish. But his limbs will find one another, reconnect and reform. And that's very similar to what the drain gear do. Like you cut off a leg or a, you know a, a limb or whatever, and it just kind of reforms. Yeah. And so um, the weird thing is that the other the other brother that's feeling all of the sickness and disease and infestation that. Um, the other twin is going through it's permeating them because they have a combined consciousness and so master skier who is the trandoshan jedi uh the darkness that surrounds either the nihil or the drangir i guess it could be the drangir just because they're close proximity to one another at this point uh has really caused him to lash out that was our question was how is a freaking trandoshan going to be a jedi but it seems that maybe he's more easily susceptible to things from the dark side. Um, and his Padawan earlier in this comic talks about that uh, it's not like him to lash out or be angry. No mm-hmm. one's ever seen him this way. Um, and so there's this moment where he's trying to comfort this Jedi. Um, you know, the Force is your refuge and your strength. Let me show you. And uh, the Drengear, the dark side that resonates within the Drengear, which has compromised this Jedi lashes out and i don't know if it's like a freaking you know is it like a covid like spread by breath or like what the heck is going on but the darkness inside of this jedi um attaches itself to skier and so it's interesting it says a poor jedi so lost so alone come with us we will make you whole so they're obviously like you said like the same mind um and the, the last little picture from this comic, which is a terrifying concept, is there are... Well, this isn't the last one. Uh, Avar Chris cuts one directly in half, which seems to do the trick. Um, and but no, it doesn't. The the really scary thing is uh, you got two Dringir who are still willing to... You know, desiring to fight and to feed. And now Skier, who is the scariest Jedi in this whole group who's, like, trained oceans are already murderers by nature. Now you have a Jedi who has the Force and has a lightsaber, and he says the harvest will be bountiful, the harvest will be pure. And that's the latest we have in the... And think about how large a Trandoshan is and how small he is to these Drangir, man. Yeah, because a Trandoshan is far and away larger than a human being. Mm-hmm. And they look... I mean, they're like behind... Like comparable to a Wookiee in size. Yeah, they're behind him, and they look to probably be almost like, twice as big. He's like elbow height to them. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot going on. Uh, and so... Still a lot to be discovered. Still a lot of questions. Right. And there's another adult novel coming, I want to say in June... Um, and it's by Daniel Jose Older, maybe. Nice. Um, he's the guy that wrote Last Shot, which I enjoyed. Um, and of course, monthly, these comics are still coming out. So uh, it's going to be March 15th when this episode airs. Uh, and so another two weeks, and we'll have the fourth installment of what's going on here. 
Uh, now the question is, are they going to be able to restore Skier, or they're going to have to just do away with him? That's the that's the real question. He'll grow I guess. back. He'll grow back. That's funny. <laughs> so, uh, what are your thoughts, High Republic? Uh, is it what you thought it would be? Is are you? How do you feel? Is it a dis- are you disappointed so far? Or no, I'm really it enjoying it. I just kind of went in with an open mind, no expectations, just because it's everything's brand new, kind of. I mean, it's right. still Star Wars, but new timeline, new characters entirely, minus Yoda, um, new outlook from the Jedi, new oppositional forces that we've never seen. So. Yeah. How do you create a compelling story where there's no Empire and no Sith to challenge the Jedi, and they're at their peak, but nobody wants to read a book where the Jedi are just running around and going to a carnival? So you've got to have some serious opposition, and I think that um, we're finding here that the Nihil have secrets that we don't know yet. Um, how are they, you know, I guess electricity or something is is really dampening the, the connection to that, that load and grates from head to the force and other things that they've got going on in that jail cell, um, as well as um, the dark side itself being kind of like the lifeblood of the Dringir. And whether they know what that is or not, you know, it, it, it's a part of who they are, but do they know how to use it or, right. you know what I'm saying? It, I mean, I think it's just, it seems like it's instinctive and they're rather daunting. You yeah. know what I mean? It's And now we know, okay, that um, that this planet that Skier was on is not the home planet of the Dringir because earlier in the comic you talk about people recently having gone missing and they don't know where mm-hmm. and there's a new patch in the field that's this sinkhole that the Dringir live inside um so all that to say we don't know how yet but they have found a way off planet and they found their way to the known universe mm-hmm. and they hunger and it's a it's a world war z thing where it's not just the Dringir, it's the Dringir and anyone that they can get their particles on mm-hmm. that do the work of the dark side. And so when you think about it, the Jedi don't necessarily fear the Sith as much as they fear the loss of, you know, balance and the dark side itself. And so if the ancient Sith feared the Dringir so much that they had to try to keep them at bay, how much more, you know, if the dark side and the Dringir is so strong, that the Sith said, we can't make them subservient. We just have to shut them up, just mm-hmm. cage them up. Um, how much more of a threat are they to the Jedi? And so it's an interesting concept. And there's a, there's a line from Into the Dark where, where uh, Jorah Mali, uh, Reed's old uh, master, talks about killing an opponent is not a victory. Mm-hmm. Um, you just It's doing what you had to have done. It's not a moment of... You know, that's not the goal. And so as that is something that's part of the, that's something that's part of the, um, of the mindset of the Jedi at this point, you can't just, you know, just give the atomic bomb to a whole planet that's filled with drink gear and their, you know, followers now. You have to try to find a way to pull the cord, you know, pull the plug and try to unplug these people's minds from the drink gear. Um, so it's an interesting concept for sure. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to say was a cool connection uh, to other things that Disney has done is that Dez, who is, um, you know, the other Jedi that they thought was dead but is is brought back, um, he ends up taking what's called a bearish vow. And he's not leaving the Order, but he's going to go and just meditate on the Force by himself and try to figure out 
what what the force is how does the light you know how do you be the perfect prism for the light to shoot through and all these other things and there are characters in other comics specifically the Darth Vader comics who there's a character who took a bearish vow and basically their commitment is until I get the answers I'm seeking I cannot do anything else um, and so there's a character that literally order 66 has taken place in the middle of his bearish vow and he did not leave to defend other Jedi or to be a part of the Clone Wars or anything like that like I took a bearish vow. It's the most important thing. I have to find these answers from the Force. And so uh, that might be the last we see of Des Rydan, um, because he's taking this really, really serious vow that will excommunicate him uh, from the Order until he sees fit that the Force has answered his questions. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting concept. But it was really good. If you're a reader or, a, or if you have a commute and you want to listen to a story uh, into the dark, I recommend it. I do think that you should probably read... Light of the Jedi first, obviously to establish characters and, and what the great disaster is, and then you can go into this one, and uh, we'll keep you updated on comics. And then there is new novels coming out between, uh, you know, now and next couple of months. We'll probably take a High Republic break to dive into the next Thrawn book, which comes out in a month, um, and so some big stuff coming in. So thanks for sticking with us. Uh, this is our High Republic catch up. I hope you enjoyed the, that sandwich. And uh, we'll see you guys next week, of course. May the Force be with you. And uh, remember, the only family you have here is me. See you next week.